0: Five is where we were two weeks ago. Good morning, sir. Glad you're able to make it. Uh, we did, we did. We waited till five after, and then we said, "Okay, if Joe's not here, then we got to go." So, uh, but we'll we'll take you whatever time you can get here. We're glad to have you. So, uh, last week, of course, we had special speaker. Two weeks ago. We did, we looked at the uh, beginning of James chapter five, and I titled it "Patience," or when facing injustice. The basic you know, thesis there in verses one through six is that there were some that were in power, and that they were uh, disobeying God's law. They were mistreating those that they had hired. They withheld wages. They did not you know, fulfill the terms of employment that kind of thing, and they were living a life of luxury while those who worked for them were suffering uh, beyond what they should have been. And that kind of rolls right into uh, the thought of in verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. But the exhortation now is for patience. Uh, If you remember in James chapter 1, The book started out with that. It was counted all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh what? Patience. Okay, so that's kind of been a recurring theme uh, throughout the book of James. But in verses 1 through 6 in James chapter 5, you see uh, injustice and mistreatment and uh, maybe a powerlessness on, the, on one side, the powerlessness uh, of handling it, but on the other side, there was also an acknowledgement that God knew. God recognized what was going on, and God would deal with it in His time. So, um, in verses 5 and 6, "...you've lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton, you've nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter, you've condemned and killed the just, and He doth not resist you." Verse 7, "...be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord." The exhortation in the face of injustice is to be patient for the Lord to intervene. Now, we know that's the right answer, don't we? Is that an easy thing to do? No. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do when you're waiting in line. You know, somebody can't figure out, you know, you want to jump up there and fix it for them so the line moves along or, you know, find another line. And, uh, but we know the right answer is to wait on the Lord and let Him handle it, but that doesn't always you know, make it easy. But the exhortation here in, for the first few and also in the next section, which covers verses 7 through 11, is to be patient. Be ye patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Now it's interesting uh, that this particular word here, is a slightly different word from uh, you know James chapter one, the trying of your faith worketh patience, and we talk, we said that that word there means kind of to bear up under a load. This word here has a slightly different um, emphasis. We might call it patience in the sense of long suffering or forbearance. This term here means um, to be tranquil or calm while waiting to bear up under provocation without complaint, okay? So it's the idea of being steadfast, steady, faithful, patient, you know, in the face of provocation. Really, I don't know that there's a a huge uh, theological difference between the two terms. It's more like the different scenarios, in chapter 1, they were to be patient in the face of what that God brought their way. Knowing this, that the what of your faith worketh patience. The trials, okay? So that was kind of a, to, to bear up under difficulties knowing that God would teach me th- through those things. Here, this is not trials in the sense of, you know, all right, well, God knows why He's bringing this into my life. This is difficulty that's brought on by the misbehavior of others, by sinful actions on the part of others. And so in this case, be patient. This uh, admonition to patience is more, you know, in the, um, in the aspect of people and maybe dumb things they did or sinful things that they did and to have you know, long-suffering. Who ult- who's the ultimate example of being patient or long-suffering with people that did wrong? Right? In a human sense, it would be Job. Yep. For sure. All right. Um, You think of any other examples of somebody that lived on earth that was patient with dumb people? Jesus. There you go. Okay. So, yeah, you got a a human example. You got the divine example in the Lord Jesus. But that's kind of the idea here, I think, of this kind of patience is just that long-suffering while waiting for a resolution. Be patient, therefore, brethren unto the coming of the Lord. You ever um, seen videos of an older, you know, kind of calmed down animal? Maybe it's a a cow or a horse. And, you know, and there's a a young one that's flitting around and kind of nudging or bumping or, you know, trying to get things riled up and they just kind of like... You know... They kind of shrug it off, or eventually, if they get fed up with it, they kind of, you know, put a <laughs> put a stop to it a little bit, right? I think that's probably a good visual for us of what we want to be. The question is, which one am I when I'm in this situation where somebody else is doing something wrong and I want it dealt with? Am I more like the one that's agitated and stirring, or am I more the one that can just be calm and steady and... <laughs> It'll be okay, you know, it'll, this too shall pass kind of thing. I'm afraid I want to be one, and I tend to be more like the other a lot of times. But here the admonition is just to be calm, to be steady. And in order to do that, there must be a trust. Faith, trust, confidence, however you want to say it. You know, it, either I, I just have a very um, blasé... Fatalistic look on life. Well, can't change it. Que sera sera. So why get mad about it? Either I have that aspect on life or this kind of patience to just put up with it and wait for God to deal with it requires faith. And that another major theme of the book of James is faith and faith versus works and that kind of thing. But to have this kind of patience means that I have to have a faith that God is in control means I have to have a faith that God will deal with it. And, you know, I have to trust His timing. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. When is the coming of the Lord? Yes. I don't know. You don't know. Whoever else has put a date on it, they don't know either. Okay? If you want to get really, really close, you can see John Stevens afterwards. He has a pretty good guess. But, no, I'm just picking with him. But... Um, You know, we don't know. But what has the historic teaching of New Testament Christianity been towards the coming of the Lord? Has it been that okay? Well, it's X number of years and then it happens. Now, there's always been an anticipation. The the way that the New Testament is written, it seems as though the apostles fully expected the Lord could return in their lifetime, right? And it was always written with a sense of anticipation. And as such, be patient therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. There's always a sense of anticipation, but also there's an acknowledgement that it's in God's timing. Not my own. Behold, then we have an example. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. Now that is kind of a what you'd call a known or a common example. The husbandman, the root word there is related to our word for agriculture. You know, the farmer. That's what that is. Okay? The farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. Now, those of you that have, you know, whether grown up on a farm, done your gardening, that kind of thing, you understand what that means. This time of year... For those that have the itch, the plans start to bubble, right? Mrs. Stevens, I was talking to my brother Stevens yesterday, and um, you know, Mrs. Stevens has always loved gardening and you know, always wanted to do that. And so when they had some land here that they could do that, she was very excited about it. You know, March, February and March and April is always a time of hope. June is a time of reality. Oh, I don't think I'm going to do this again next year. Then next February, I think I'm gonna do it one more time. You know, but there's there's at the beginning, there's a sense of anticipation. Now, maybe you're not a vegetable garden person, maybe you like flowers or you know, whatever, but you understand there's there's an expectation. But if you've done this more than once, you also understand the process. You prepare the ground and you fertilize and you plant the seed, and here it says you know, the husband waits for the early and latter rain. As I understand it, in the land of Israel, there were two primary rainy seasons. A few weeks ago when I uh, communicated with Jed, he said they were getting ready to go into the rainy season there in Brazil. And so this time of year is not really ideal for him to take his plane out to the tribes where he ministers because it's all dirt landing strips. And so the conditions aren't there to land and take off and that kind of thing. But... and while we don't necessarily have rainy seasons per se, you know, we kind of know which times of the year we get a little more rain than others or know it's unusual. Uh, this past year, it was uh, incredible dichotomy, wasn't it, in 2023? April, May, June, the rain was steady, consistent, you know, mow the grass about every three days kind of thing, you know, and and then it seemed like about July the 4th, it went And, you know, July, August, September, up to about the middle of October, I think we had one inch of rain over three months, you know. That was unusual for us, but in some parts of the world, it's kind of like that. There's a dry season, and then there's a rainy season. But, you know, in Israel, there was a little bit of that. There was a rainy season at a certain time of the year that would kind of, kind of like the winter rains for us, January, February, these rains, you know, this time of year help with the water table, you know, in the wells and the, the groundwater and such. But then there was a later rain that was needed, you know, when the crops were in and and the sun was hot and it was needed to help get the crops to full maturity. But the idea here of the illustration is that the farmer has patience. Okay? Now, if you have kids and they plant seeds as a class project, or, you know, if you're homeschooling your kids, it's just you and the student, right? And now we get those clear cups so you can see how the roots develop and kind of see through the side of that little clear uh, drinking cup. Get a little potting soil and you put the seed in there. What does a kid do? Every day, you know, maybe every break, they're over checking to see if anything's sprouted yet. And you're like, look, it's going to take at least a week. You're not going to see anything green pop up. But, you know, every day it's like, why is this taking so long? Well, with the benefit of some experience, (laughs) it's going to take a while. And then something pops up and it's like, can we eat it? (laughs) No, no, no. You know, if this is a bean, it's going to be a long time before anything is produced that could be eaten. We understand that, right? And that's the illustration that was used uh, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God for us in waiting for God to deal with our circumstances. While we understand it with a garden, we have to uh, remind ourselves, force ourselves, teach ourselves to have the same kind of outlook, sometimes God will deal with it in His timing, but it may not be as rapidly as I would like. You know, I, we're more like that kid. All right, it's been three days. Why hasn't anything popped up yet? An illustration is the farmer. The husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. That term, long patience, is the same. You know, related to the same uh, term there, the idea of long-suffering, to wait a long time, to endure, to be patient, okay? So you have the illustration in verse 7, and then you have the application in verse number 8, be ye also patient. You know anybody that has that as their life verse? Probably not. Why? Why? Because that's more of a rebuke than an encouragement to most of us, right? But that is, that is the command part of it. You have, uh, in verse 7, you have a command, be patient, and then an illustration. But then you have the application, again, in a command in verse 8, be ye also patient. Alright, just make up your mind to be long-suffering, to wait, to have that calm endurance. To be the one that just calmly waits it out instead of to be you know, the animated you know, Tasmanian devil of activity and I'm going to make sure something gets done. How do we do that? Verse 8 goes on. Be also patient. Establish your hearts. Okay? Establish your hearts. That's not exactly the way we would say it, but if you put an E on the front of that word, it's how we would say it. Establish. Okay? The word establish there means to set firmly in place okay you ever um, tried to put up a fence first thing you got to do is get posts well you don't necessarily have to do it that way but if you want a good fence that's probably where you should start start with the posts and get them established um, any of you ever you know tried to put a basketball goal up you know for I mean now with the portable goals it's a little more uh, user-friendly But I remember years ago, I wanted a basketball goal, and we finally got one. And, um, you know, the the process wasn't at all what I expected. You know, we went out there and dug a hole right next to the driveway and, you know, had the, whatever it is, four-inch metal pipe or, you know, six-inch, whatever it is. Dug a hole and, you know, put the concrete in, put the pipe in. I'm like, all right, look, uh uh-uh. Dad says, don't you touch this. You want a basketball goal? Don't you touch this. You know, it got it all, you know, leveled and, and um, positioned where it needed to be. And then what had to happen? I Had to wait. I mean, I'm like what, ten years old? Twelve? I mean, all right, it's been five minutes. Let's put the back, let's put the backboard on it and let's shoot some. You know, no. I think we I think we had to let that thing cure an entire week. You know, it after a day it would be pretty firm, but you want the concrete to really, um, you know, set up well. You've got to leave it alone for several days and just let it get established. That is the uh, the idea here. Um, Be patient. How do I do that? Establish my heart to allow it to be firmly supported and fixed. How do I do that? Fixed on what or on whom? It's going to have to be on the Lord. It's going to have to be on His promises and really on His character. You know, a kid hopefully would trust if um, you know if they go to mom and dad and, and uh, bring a situation, and mom says, "Okay, I'll take care of it." That hopefully they would trust. Now, depending on the age of the kid or how uptight they are about the situation, they might be like, "Okay, mom's going to handle it," or ten minutes later, "Hey, mom, did you take care of it?" You know, an hour later, "Hey, mom," you know, and at a certain point, it's like. I told you I would take care of it, I will take care of it, drop it, <laughs> right? But if you have confidence in mom, as you should, then okay, if mom said she's going to do it, it'll get handled. Should we have greater confidence in mom or in the Lord? We know that. But here, I'm, how do I establish my heart? By confidence in God's character, by confidence in his promises, in his track record. And so how do I establish my heart? I allow my, my heart, my thinking, my confidence, my hopes to be established and supported and based on God's Word and God's character and not to be as immediately effect, affected excuse me, by the circumstances around me. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, again, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Second time in two verses that the coming of the Lord has been addressed. Now, we know in the New Testament, the coming of the Lord really happens in two phases. There's the rapture, which can happen at any point in time. And that's what 1 Thessalonians says that we'll meet him in the air. And then there's the physical return of the Lord where his feet touch the earth and then all of the other prophecies more so related to Israel and and, uh, the millennial kingdom and that kind of thing will be fulfilled. When does that happen? We don't know. But the idea is, even if I have to wait for the Lord to come back to set it straight, let Him do it. Be also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Verse 9, grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Now, to be honest with you, when I saw this phrase, grudge not, I thought I probably knew what it meant. I know what a grudge is, but you know the idea here is not just a uh, what we would call a grudge, is you know a long-held um, offense, you know, or a long-standing problem. This word "grudge" here means um, I'm going to read you the definition because I think it's helpful to express oneself involuntarily in the face of an undesirable circumstance, to groan. Ugh right ah, ah those would be various reactions to circumstances right what's being so what is behind that discontent complaining dissatisfaction right and the idea here is when he says don't respond this way to one another brethren the idea is don't get put out with your brother don't you know, get frustrated with them if I'm trusting the Lord. Then, you know, He will take care of it. This may be, you know, a frustration that grows out of why isn't my situation resolved yet? This may be a frustration when I think they're the problem and why hasn't God fixed them yet? But grudge not. Don't allow that discontent to flavor your, atti- your attitude, your actions. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. The idea there of being condemned is to be found guilty or to be held to account. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. What is that imagery? I think that imagery is consistent with what's been mentioned in verse 7 and verse 8. The coming of the Lord draws nigh. The idea is that you can try to take matters into your own hands, only to find out that the judge is right outside the door, and if you just waited another minute or two, the judge would come in and handle it. You know, the, uh, the judge standeth before the door tells us two things. Number one, tells me I'm not the judge. Right? Ah, why'd you have to say that? I think I could do a pretty good job of handling this situation. You know, I'm not the judge. And number two, you know, I'm to wait for the judge. Um, Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Again, the constant reminder that the Lord's coming is imminent, the Lord's control is over all, and I've got to be patient with God's timing. It's not my favorite part, <laughs> favorite part of the passage necessarily, but the fact that it's repeated makes it seem like my problem isn't new. Seems like James's readers kind of had the same temptations that we do, right? Want it handled now, and I want this dealt with, okay? I mean, I know most of you, you know, reasonably well in this room, and I won't start calling names, but I know for a fact that there's many of you here that if there's something wrong, you want it fixed, and you want it fixed now, right? I want it dealt with. I want it handled. I don't want to deal with this anymore. If there is a solution, let's do it. What are we waiting on? And there's times when that's good. You know, there there needs to be uh, you know problem solving and fixing in a lot of ways. But if that's our mentality, and I say our because I'm that way a lot of times, there's some things I'm like, eh, whatever. But you know, more often than not, I'm like, huh? I'm not going to put up with this. Fix it. You know, let's get it right. Let's do it. But when we have that mentality, we need the threefold reminder like this coming of the Lord draweth nigh. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. The judge stands before the door. I want it fixed now. And that's not always God's timing. God's timing is uh, in, in His knowledge and not always in ours. And then you have another illustration that's given in verse number 10. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction end of patience. So again, in James chapter 1, the patience was in the face of trials. In James chapter 5, the patience is in the face of injustice, mistreatment, um, you know, uh, circumstances that are the result of the actions of others. And he says, take my brethren, the prophets, as an example. Okay? Okay? Who's uh, James's target audience from James chapter 1? James to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. So he's expecting that this is you know, primarily Jewish audience that knew. But can you think of any example of a prophet that faced uh, resistance or opposition? Jeremiah is a classic example. Absolutely. All right. How about one that went and made a pronouncement, Thus saith the Lord, and then had to hide for three years because the king was trying to kill him? Remember who that was? Somebody said, Thus saith the Lord, it's not going to rain for three years. And then he went and hid. That's Elijah, right? What about the fella that um, was mocked by teenagers? Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. Elisha, yeah. Uh, Isaiah ministered during the time when Assyria captured the northern kingdom and they came against Jerusalem. He was there with Hezekiah when they came against him. I mean, that was a time of uncertainty, right? He didn't go under then, but according to um, historical accounts, we have a reference in Hebrews chapter 11. Others were sawn asunder and that kind of thing. According to historical accounts outside the biblical record, there, um, there is a tradition in some of the Jewish writings and such that Manasseh, the wicked king, uh, killed Isaiah and he may well have sawed him in half. That may be one of the references you know, from Hebrews chapter 11. Would that be an example of um, suffering affliction? I'm going with yeah. <laughs> Jeremiah, Brother Love I mentioned that one right off. Jeremiah ministered in the southern kingdom at, later than Isaiah, and he was there when Babylon came in and captured Jerusalem. Okay? Jeremiah prophesied and said, look, what's, Babylon is coming because of your idolatry and your disobedience. Don't fight Babylon. How did the king treat Jeremiah as a result of that? Throw him in jail. At one point, he threw him in a, a dried-up well in a cistern in a pit. You know, and when they got him out of there, they had to kind of put ropes under him and you know, pull him up and that kind of thing. And he, he threw him in jail and he said, all right, you're staying there until the whole world knows that your prophecy's false. Well, obviously his prophecy wasn't false. But what did, what did Isaiah do to deserve being cut in half? What did Elijah do to have to hide by the brook Cherith and you know, go have a widow woman feed him? All he did was what the Lord told him to do, right? What did Jeremiah do? Thus saith the Lord. I don't like that. You're going to jail. You're going to the pit. Later on, he said, look, just obey Babylon. And they forcibly carried Jeremiah away to Egypt when they tried to run away to Egypt. They did nothing wrong, and yet they suffered for it. That's the the purpose of the illustration here. There may be times when we, in fact, haven't done anything wrong. And their suffering. That is when we demonstrate this kind of patience, long-suffering, not bearing up under trial, but rather a steadfast calmness that comes from establishing my heart in the character and the promises of God. And an assurance that God is the judge and that God will deal with things in his time. Did King Manasseh get what was coming to him eventually? Yeah. You know, was Jeremiah vindicated? Eventually, eventually, the king of Babylon gave Jeremiah the option. You can come with me to Babylon or you can stay here with these stragglers that I'm leaving here, you know. But years of discomfort and persecution and, you know, humiliation and whatever else. Now, it's been well documented and said that we live in an instant generation. You know, ah. I remember when we first got a microwave at our house and I know that, you know, the general attitude was not that microwave things are better, (laughs) okay, still isn't at mom and dad's house, you know, but good things do come out of the microwave when that means warming up the home-cooked leftovers from yesterday, you know, that can be a good thing. But, you know, we have all been affected by that. I mean, now the thought of having to wait till the newspaper comes tomorrow to get the scores of the baseball game from the day before just blows my mind. I <laughs> mean, you know, I can get the score right here in you know, just a matter of a few seconds. And if the wheel sits and spins for five or 10 seconds before the page loads, I'm kind of like, come on, let's go. You know? We've all been affected by that in one way or another, right? So <laughs> I have waited 24 hours why has this not been resolved? You know, it's easy to think that way. Whether we realize it or not, whether we would consider ourselves, you know, the microwave instant generation or not, it's easy to be influenced to the point of saying, all right, this has been long enough. Why hasn't God dealt with this yet? And God's like, it's been three days. You know, just calm down. Let me handle it. I think that's why it's the uh, repeated admonition here so when is patience needed well patience is needed in the face of uh, wrongdoing by others we see that with the oppression and the injustice but patience is also needed when waiting on God's timing for him to intervene and deal with it and because human nature is consistent James's readers needed repeated illustration and application and we do too <laughs> trust the Lord wait on him and Ask the Lord for perspective. Lord, how come this hadn't been dealt with yet? And he reminds me, well, it's been exactly, you know, five days, son. That seed hadn't sprouted in five days, has it? No, sir. And when it sprouts, is it gonna be ready to pick in another five days? No, sir. But you know, that the illustrations that we're familiar with is what God uses to remind us our schedule isn't his schedule, but there is a time of reaping at the time that God has established. So we must establish our hearts. Again, allow ourselves to be firmly settled on the character and the promises of God and his right to handle it in his time. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us to apply what we know and to trust you. Lord, we do pray that you'd intervene and that you would, um, in our day-to-day uh, circumstances that you'd meet needs, Lord, you know the needs that are represented in our church family. But Lord, help us day by day to exhibit that kind of confidence and patience and trust in you.